0: at Pitt. Uh, This is our fifth year. And this semester we're studying Philippians. We've titled the series, Finding Joy in a World Gone Flat. And uh, just as a general introduction as regards Christianity and joy, we tend to run into two extremes. And there's all kinds of positions in between. The two extremes are there are some Christians who believe we should be joyful all the time, all the time. And, And there's a sense in which that's true. There's a sense in which that's nearly impossible. And uh, this is particularly hard for people with certain dispositions and personalities like my own. I'm uh, not by nature the happiest person in the world. And um, it's also the case that we live in a broken world. And sometimes it's really easy for some folks to gloss over that as though being joyful was just like we lived in Disney World all the time. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is that... um, Some folks believe that Christianity by nature produces people that are dour, serious, melancholy, and miserable. Uh, Christianity calls us to do some hard things. We, We sort of believe, even as Christians sometimes, that we're missing out on things if we embrace Christianity. And that we might be depriving ourselves in some way of joy. So what we're looking at this semester is the reality that we live in a world where things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And yet we're called to be joyful as Christians. How are we supposed to do that? Philippians is going to help us get there. And uh, we're going to start today by reading the first 11 verses. Uh, I'll only speak about the first 8. Philippians 1, 1-11, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, For God's my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what's excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. All right, let's pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that in time and space you revealed yourself. Uh, by actions and by speech, and that these things were recorded for our benefit. Pray, Lord Jesus, you'd be gracious to show us something of yourself and ourself today. Pray, Spirit, that you be gracious to take these truths, make them clear, and apply them to our lives. That those here tonight that are Christians would be encouraged and refreshed. That those that are here tonight that may not know you or may be confused would walk away with a clearer understanding of what Christianity is all about and who you are, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, When I was a boy and a teenager, I collected baseball cards. This is something that was very fashionable to do 20 years ago. It was actually really hard to. I grew up in the rural south where finding the really good cards were hard. Like everyone could find tops. They were 40 cents. You got cheap bubble gum. But the really nice cards, the glossy upper deck ones, they're just like a myth. We knew they existed, but we didn't know where. You actually had to get in a car, if you were me, and drive like 30 minutes away to go to a store that might have them. and Then you buy a whole box. I don't know how many yards I cut how many leaves I've raked, and just the labor I expended to buy cards. And I invested myself in these things. I combed through boxes and boxes. I organized them by teams. All the, all the cards I thought were valuable, I put into two books that protected them in this nice binder. I, I really invested them in them, and I found joy in collecting cards. Do you know where they are today? It's a serious question. Do you know? Because I have no idea. <laughs> I really... I have no idea where they are. You have as much guess as I do. Now, this is a common experience. We all invest ourselves in things and find joy in things, and then we exhaust them, right? We, we quickly exhaust them, and they just don't hold anymore. Um, these things are stuffed away in your attic, or you long ago forgot they even existed. You cease to find joy in them. And it's not just things, it's people, sometimes too. Uh, friendships, friendships you may have left in high school that you're here now, and you're thinking, how how did that even work? Perhaps it's possible that if you're a freshman, uh, some of the initial friendships you made just nine days ago that you thought, this person might be a really good friend of mine. And now, nine days later, you're thinking, no, no. <laughs> I was finding joy in that, and now uh, I, I sort of hope I don't see them much anymore. Um, <laughs> it's really easy actually for us to exhaust things that we think we're going to find joy in people, places, things, experiences, status, security, our social circles. We're often looking for joy in some great it, only to find the thing slowly dissipates, evaporates, and leaves us hungry and longing again. We should know by now that joy is fleeting by nature. It runs away from us, we have to chase it, or chase something that provides it. Why doesn't joy hold? Why doesn't it stick? Why doesn't it stay? There's lots of answers to this question, and we'll talk about lots of them throughout the semester. But one of the reasons is that we need not to find the next great thing that will provide us joy. That's what we typically do. We look for the next great thing out there, the next group of friends, the next inner circle of those group of friends, the next status achievement, the next A to go on the report card, whatever it is, we're looking for the next thing to give us joy. But the most profound thing that needs to change is inside. Inside of us. It's not something out there that we need to provide us joy. Deep inside of us, we need to change if we're going to live in such a way that joy is a normal experience for us. And that's good news for us, actually, because we're going to find in our text today that joy is possible because the gospel changes everything. Joy is possible because the gospel changes everything. Now I want to make a little provision right here real quick. I'm not saying the gospel is some magic elixir that fixes everything in reality (coughs) instantaneously. I do believe that got us out to fix all things that are broken, and we'll do so in time. But we won't be around for most of that. So, uh, how is it the case that God fixes everything through the gospel? Or how is it possible that the gospel changes everything? I'm meaning this very personally. God undertakes a profound transformation in our lives that makes joy possible when we embrace the gospel. We're going to talk about three areas in which the gospel changes us from the inside that makes joy possible. A possibility for us in the gospel we have a new status we have an enhanced security and we find a remarkable society okay a new status an enhanced security and a remarkable society imagine these people the philippians who received this letter by the way philippi was a very worldly city of the roman empire Paul's writing to a church that didn't exist 20 years ago. I'm not going to try to fix that. Um, This is a young church and a new church in a very worldly, progressive, very messy kind of place. And Paul addresses them like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, Christ Jesus. Did you read that? He calls these church members saints. Now it's interesting because, well, Philippi wasn't a very saintly place. When this church was started, I don't know, 20 years ago, there was no one there. There was some Jewish lady selling stuff. The first convert was a jailer about to commit suicide in his family. It's a very messy beginning. And now he calls them saints. What's so special about them that he would call them saints? There's a sense in which, well, there's actually nothing very special about them in themselves. It's rather what God does in giving them a new status. It's significant that God calls them, through Paul, saints, Because what we have here is a people that have been made right with God. They've been made right with God, not such that if you met them, you'd say, These people are perfect. There are no perfect people on this planet. But rather, they've been made right with God in God's own eyes. This is how God considers them. God considers these people in Philippi that trust in Jesus to be saints, holy, right with Him. How is that? How is it that God, who is perfect, considers these folks that are certainly imperfect and messy to be saints? It's because there are saints in Christ Jesus. You see that in verse 1? Saints in Christ Jesus. It's by virtue of their union with Jesus, by virtue of their relationship with Him, that they are considered saints. The way Christianity works is by trusting in Jesus, you are united with Him in reality and in God's eyes in such a way That Christ gets what you have, and what you have is a mess. Uh, Your guilt, your shame. He dies for those things. And you get what he has, which is his perfect record. And eventually, throughout life, living with him, you become more and more like him. It's a great exchange. He gets our guilt. We get his merit. God the Father sees Christians as saints. Perfect in Jesus And this is not something, just to make it clear, that we earn. It's by grace. See this down in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I'll hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace. Christianity is not about performance. It's about partaking of grace. We live in a very industrious, performance-oriented society. We think it's all up to us to earn our status and our place. The first eight verses of this chapter shoots that out of the water. We are saints considered godly in Jesus and righteous before the eyes of the Father because of grace. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't perform in any such way. We trust in Jesus. God the Father sees Christ's perfect righteousness in us because of what Christ has done for us. It's not about performance. It's about partaking of grace. This is not a matter of earning it's a matter of receiving what Christ has done for us by faith. My favorite illustration for this is the Amex black card. I've used it before. One of the few things I'm proud of, I haven't achieved much in life, is that I have a really, really, really good credit score. And I actually have really nice credit cards. I uh, have lots of them, actually. And I make the credit card companies pay me. In fact, I just bought my wife this really nice gift for her birthday with all my rewards. So... Uh, I'm really, really proud of my credit score. And yeah, the Amex Black Card is a card I'll never have. Does anyone know what I'm talking about or ever seen an Amex Black Card? The Amex Black Card is actually made of titanium. Yep. And um, in order to get one, you have to spend on average a quarter of a million dollars a year on the card. It has no credit limit. And you can just sort of pay on it, well, I guess, whenever you want. Because they trust the the bazillionaires that own these things. It's only like maybe 100 or 200 people that actually own them, to pay them off. Now, it's not only that you can get whatever you want wherever you go. It's that when you pull this out, everyone in the business knows who you are and you just get the royal treatment. Now, I'll never get one of those, but I could use one of those. (laughs) And in in practical effects would look exactly the same. If I got in on someone good and they just let me borrow it, And I went to a restaurant, and all that someone person would read would be someone's name. They wouldn't know if I was that person or not. That card accrues gives me all that person's credit. And and the way they're treated as well. I will be treated with the same deference and respect as the owner of that card by virtue of having it. By virtue of my relationship with the guy that owns the card, I would have all the benefits of the card owner. That's exactly the way that God the Father treats you in Jesus. By virtue of your connection With Jesus through faith, you receive all his credit, and God the Father treats you like he does Jesus. He views you as a saint, and he loves you. If you're a Christian, and you don't understand this, we need to have a talk. And you will find, if this is the case, joy to be a very fleeting reality, a very frustrating part of your life, because you'll be striving to please a God who doesn't exist, actually. Because the God that exists in your mind is a God that you must work to please. You can't please that God because God the Father, if you're a Christian, is pleased with you in Jesus. He already loves you because of your trust in Christ. Because he sees you and loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. Joy will be a fleeting reality in your life if you don't understand your new status. If you're not a Christian, or you're not sure what Christianity is all about, I've just given you about the clearest definition of Christianity I can. Is this what you understand about Christianity? Or is it something else? Feel free to talk to me about this afterwards. The next two points are going to go really quickly. Because of our new status in Christ, we find an enhanced security. We see it in verse 6. I am sure that this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This verse is saying God is at work in you. He's brought you to this place. He's brought you to faith. And he's going to continue to work in you. God's going to finish what he started. This allows you to do a couple of things as a Christian. It allows you to admit you're a mess. That God is tearing stuff out of your life. Big road signs under construction guard you. You're sort of open and vulnerable. You should be able to admit you're a mess because God's at work on you. It also give you the encouragement that you know, although you're not perfect, you're making progress. God's doing work in your life. You can be open and honest about this and know that God has not abandoned you because of what this verse says. We have enhanced security because we know God's at work in us if we're Christians. And also because of Christ's love. Verse 8. We have this. This passage is very emotive. Uh, verse 8. God's my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now this is Paul saying, I yearn for you. It's a very interesting verb, yearn. I don't use that with y'all. <laughs> been yearning for you guys all summer. Um, Laughter It doesn't work. That's right. You can't take me serious. And actually, some of you think I'm dirty because I said that. Um, But it's this really visceral, actually gutsy word in the original language. He really physically longs for them with the affection of Jesus. Meaning, if Paul's like this, how much more is Jesus loving toward you? How much more does Jesus love you if Paul, an imperfect man, loves you this way? Christ loves us with a passionate affection, with a longing, with a yearning. When you understand that God's at work in your life and loves you like this, you have an enhanced security that frees you up. And this is where I'm going to do this very personal confession. And uh, as an illustration of the freedom of enhanced security. Now, this is dangerous because some of you are new and you don't understand me. But if you stick around long enough, it'll make sense. Um, I am... 37 years old. And the pressure for someone my age to try to be cool for a group of students like you could be immense. It could. It could be immense. Uh, However, do you have any idea how freeing it is for me not to care what you think of me? (laughs) I'm dead serious. Some of you that know me well know this is true. It's dangerous, I say, because this is the reality. Actually, for the most part, I don't care what you think about me. Now, when I say that, some of you are going to think, well, he doesn't care about us. No, 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 I didn't say that. See, one of my great concerns is that as a pastor who doesn't care what people think about me, they will automatically get the impression I don't care about them. That's not true. I care deeply about you and your relationship with Christ and your overall general physical, emotional, spiritual health at this university. But I frankly don't care if you care about me or not. I mean, I do. It would be nice if you liked me. But, eh, I'm a hard person to like. Um... Uh, but the reality is I have all kinds of reasons to be insecure, naturally speaking. Uh, I'm older than you. I'm twice as old as some of you. Um, uh, I've been losing my hair for like 10 years. Like, it just keeps going away. Um, I could potentially trust in my ability to stay, keep up with you athletically or culturally, which is very questionable at this point in my life. Um, I could trust in my security that you care about me because I'm a good pastor even. And the reality is I am secure in Jesus not for any of these reasons. I'm secure enough not to care what you think about me because I know two fundamental realities. God loves me and my family loves me. Then each day I can come here and do my job, pour myself out for you and love you and go home not caring what you think about me because I know when I get home my four-year-old son loves me. It's great. It really is. It's awesome. So, and again, hear me. This is a profound, wonderful freedom. It allows me to be myself with you and to love you, not caring what you think about me. That's a good place to want to get to. I'm not lifting myself up as an example. Um, it's just this wonderful thing that's happened to me somehow. Uh, because I know I am loved by God and my family, I am free. I am free from the insecurity of needing to be loved or liked by others, and it's great and this is exactly the kind of security that you can have in Jesus as a Christian to not be haunted by the fear that other people don't like you or will accept you instead to have the freedom to move forward and love them irregardless, regardless of what they think of you, because God knows you well. And loves you. Yes, she called me. And because uh, God will never leave you. And He loves you. Secure in Christ's love with a new status, you can then come out of hiding and experience in some small part. You can participate in God's remarkable community. This is the last thing. Uh, we're just getting a snippet of, here, of it here uh, in Philippians 1 1 through 11. Uh, but I want you to think about Paul for a second. Perhaps you don't know much about Paul. Uh, it wasn't that long ago in Paul's life when he wrote this letter that he oversaw the murder of a Christian. He was opposed to the faith. He hated Christians. You read verses 3 through 11, and words jump out like the word thanks and prayer and awe and joy and yearn. It is emotionally intense. He loves these people passionately. He has made Paul part of this community, and Paul loves these people. And Paul is now so full of joy that actually he can't help but give it off. Like, the whole passage smells like joy. Like, if you actually received this thing in the mail, you'd be like, either blown away if you knew the person, like, whoa, they really love me. Or like, wow, this is cheesy. Who wrote this thing? It's a Hallmark card. Um, It seems like too good to be true, almost. And yet the reality is this is the kind of community that's available if you trust Christ and you, and you understand your status in Him and you live out of that enhanced security from knowing that Christ loves you. Now, God is intent. Because He's at work if you're a Christian. God is intent, determined, through Jesus to make you, Christian, understand your status and to bring you into a place of security where you can forget about yourself and love others and enjoy this kind of community. Connect to others vitally. Come out of hiding. Be your real self that you're afraid and insecure to show. And if you're not there, if you've never experienced a community like that, if you know you're insecure and you're performing and you've already got maybe in the back of your mind a small to-do list of about 1,000 things that's going to make you a more awesome person at pit, so people will love you and like you, take a deep breath. It's okay to do 1,000 things to be a great person. I'm not saying be a loser. <coughs> but that's not going to make anyone love you for who you really are. Take a deep breath. Realize what the gospel offers you. A new status. The security that Christ loves you and will never leave you and will be at work with you and is determined to connect you to a group of like minded people where it's safe to be yourself. And if you're someone here that's confused about Christianity, or ambivalent, or cynical even, uh, the good news for you is a group of people like this is a wonderfully safe place for you to figure out the gospel, to figure out Christianity, because we know we don't have it together. We know we're messy. We know we're works in progress. This is the best place in the world for you to figure out what Christianity is all about. Because we're not full of ourselves. And we're going to show you the work in progress. We're not just going to give you an answer. Instead, you get all the work as well with all those splotches and the red marks. You get to see it. And it's messy. And it's fun. And it's dynamic. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's uh, my sincere hope that you would do this very thing in the lives of people in this room, that you would show folks here that uh, may not understand what Christianity is about because maybe they've had a little exposure or perhaps what they've been exposed to has been profoundly negative in their lives, that you would show them, Lord Jesus, the nature of your love and your commitment to your people. Lord, we pray here for those that uh, do know you but have uh, struggled like so many of us often do to rest in you. Instead, labor so hard to try to please others and to try to please you with our own labors and good works and promises and provisions and it's exhausting and it runs us in the ground and it often takes us further from you. Lord, help us to rest in the gospel. Pray that you would make that message, that reality of the gospel, abundantly clear to us throughout this year. Pray that we would be marked by joy. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.